This seems like a really good time to start recording because, folks, we shouldn't have a big book of names. <laughs> How is my doctor going to remember which chart is mine if there is not a name written on it? You can no, you can have a book of names with your doctor. Like, you already have to do all but of But I the also want doctors to have rules about what they are and do and how that works. So, I mean... I know I, I am a bureaucracy fetishist. I appreciate that that is, that is a, a flip. I get like I do get where you're coming from, but at the end of the day, are you still personally vetting each physician before you go and like receive care from them? Because I feel like yes, you do no, this anyway. I, no, I don't have the opportunity to do that. I I live in Georgia. My options of of doctors on my insurance are the list they have and which one of them is taking new clients. So it kind of seems to me like it's not doing anything anyway to benefit you. Well, it does make sure that some of them are, in fact, doctors. I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, but, like, you can still know what a medical school is. Like, you, you're gonna know. There's gonna be a medical school around that you could, like, theoretically contact. I mean, I feel like you, you would still have to do that. Again, I feel like a stamp is something the least sophisticated consumer can appreciate. A stamp is, and a system of, hey, do you, you okay. have that stamp is, I don't know, like. Yeah, okay, but, like, even if you're talking about a notary, that's literally just some guy that said, yeah, this seems legit. Like, getting notarized is not that, like, hard. Like, you can become a notary just by saying, yeah, I promise not to misuse this. Like, I know, the there's stamp is a no... metaphor for licensing in general, though, right? It is very easy to get something notarized improperly. Like, I'm telling you, it is, like, it is all just an honor system. Well, uh, of course it is. I mean, that's society. That's society, yeah, Rachel. Like it's an honor system, <laughs> but with a lot of unnecessary overhead. Well, I mean, the honor system part of it is not really... Uh, if I give someone a big list of names, I am still going to have to operate in an honor system with that too, whether they have it or... I, mean, like, I don't know. I don't know that the bureaucratizing and lists of things is the problem. Wasn't uh -huh. there some like teenager that like recently got caught defrauding a bunch of people pretending to be a physician wasn't that yes. a thing and he like went to prison for it well it's happened more than once because there's a rule about being a doctor yeah but it didn't stop him from treating a shitload of people first like it didn't save any of them didn't that happen in Star Trek as well? I think it did. I think I'm trying to remember which series it was, but I remember an episode about this where they where he busted a, a doctor, somebody, or am I thinking of Mash? Those are two very different it might shows. Be Mash. I mean, there's also a Venture Brothers arc where <laughs> John, where yeah. Billy Quizboy is a spectacular surgeon unlicensed but again i yeah. as a person that lives in a society wait we live yeah. in a society yeah we might we and well we're trying anyway in as a person that lives there I, I don't know i like labeling i appreciate that i mean i don't have the ability to personally parse everything that these systems don't yeah. always work as well as i want them to doesn't mean they shouldn't exist it just means we suck at it yeah, I'm gonna have to go with Paul here because listen, like I, I get where you're coming from, Rachel. Like I appreciate the the privacy and autonomy and and people's right to their individual you know decisions, but like I don't see how a federation or the Star Trek universe could exist without just like an insane amount of bureaucracy. Well, the academy works because it's like written with good intentions almost. Yeah. That seems like a good enough place to start it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to everyone's favorite <laughs> leftist Star Trek jibber jabber bullshit podcast, Gay Space Communism, where we talk about, you know, the show we like and we try to make it less weird than it is and try and, you know, guide our weird little starship towards the future it projects, but less weird than it does. I'm Paul Byron. I'm Rachel Kahn. I'm Corey Archibald. I'm Amy Hassel. We have a big gay group today. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's, we are talking bureaucracy. <laughs> that is, oh, that is, I mean, that's, we're going to get there. But let's, but bureauc bureaucratically styled, we're going to do points of order. And of course, we start off with talking about what are we watching lately? What have we seen? What, what are you doing? Corey, you're trying to chug through T TAS, animated series. Who'd you see? Yeah, what are we I'm doing? I'm still working my way through it, but I'm liking it more. I'm liking it more. I got to say, like, I, uh, I, you know, I was a little hard on it a couple weeks ago and was kind of warming up to it last week. And now I'm like, oh, kind of love this. So. It gives them a lot of freedom to be able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you can just give that guy three arms or they can go wherever. We don't have to build it. We don't have to, you know, mm -hmm. the, pretend yeah. this cave is that cave again. Yeah. You can draw a different cave. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. My child uh, 
this is the most essential parenting story I'm probably ever going to tell because it perfectly captures the kind of absurd weird shit you have to deal with. So my kid has developed a new obsession with Star Trek because she saw an episode that had a parental guidance warning that it was like a, you know, PG episode. <laughs> and Hell it yeah. said, I shit you not, it said sex. Bow, 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 wow. Laxana Troy was just in the episode. It's not. Yeah, and so my six-year-old is like, Mom, does this one have sex in it? And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, how do I? Oh, God. Oh, no, they God. Just, they just pan to the warp core and play some music and fade it. <laughs> you know what? And honestly, that is. It's just a slow-mo warp core ejection. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I, I'm letting her, like, ask her questions. I am letting her know it's fine to ask me things. I'm not just offering anything up because, frankly, I don't want to deal with it. But So, honey, Klingons, as we learned in Discovery, have two of everything, which includes. Hell, yes, they do. Right? Yeah. Like, that's, no, that's not a, that's, it's, you, they'll figure it out. They can read the fanfic later. Yeah. You know, it's not embarrassing. People of both genders can have warp core ejections. Love it. So, yeah. um, And I mean, like, we have a very, like, sex and gender positive household. Like, we, we aren't, like, weird about it like with her it's not some big taboo thing you know she's just started expressing interest in it but as a consequence we've started the next generation over and i think she might have a crush on wharf <laughs> that's perfect that yeah. is perfect she needs to get in line but all right i mean yeah me too i would do anything for michael dorn but like every time he's on screen she goes mom it's like i don't like him but I like him, you know, like mm, that's, that's, yep. That's human love. That's, and I'm like, so ah, <laughs> I see. So she's counselor Troy. She loves counselor Troy. And yes, <laughs> she is identifying the fuck with counselor Troy right now. Like clearly that is the woman that she sees as like herself, which makes sense because she's the yeah. one that's closest to Jewish, which is what I am. It's the onesie. Yeah, so Amazing. she's super into it. Uh, and we've been watching season one, so I've been really enjoying the, like, horrible makeup uh, and <laughs> tiny, tiny baby-faced William Riker. Uh, and, like, everybody was, like, 15 pounds lighter, and I assume it's because they were all, like, hungry before they had a steady gig. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to stop saying these mean things about Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I love him. He had been... Ahab and a number. I would of die for any of them. He was, he trained Paul Atreides. Mm -hmm. Let's back up for one second and skip over to the Dune universe for just a moment. And remember that Patrick Stewart in that movie was as bald as he is in Star Trek, but let it go real long. It was a very oh, weird look. Yes. This is a very, and it's like part of the, what should have been the seven hour movie that David Lynch had planned out that they turned into that very quick montage of like, and then they fight a whole war all over the planet. And then, ah, oh, it's a, it's 50 years later. Let's go. <laughs> Patrick okay. Stewart is proof you can be hot at any stage of balding. Like that dude is so goddamn sexy. I don't and give a fuck. You can be 60 years proof old for 40 years. Uh-huh. I will ride his bald head like a fucking cowgirl. I don't give a shit. <laughs> that man's beautiful. Oh, golly. Someone dig us out of this hole. Quick. Uh, so I I watched the end of Lower Decks, and I know, Rachel, that you're not a fan just on the basis of the writing and the, the, the sort of because of some of well, the- like, I don't the, hate it. No, I've but, just seen it, you know? I understood. Yeah. The, what it makes canon is fantastic. The sort of like the menial work that it makes absolutely canon is one of my Hell favorites. yes the sort of goofy normalization of some of the approaches like, Oh yeah, no, none of those people, none of the extras in the, in the suits know what's going on. They just do their job, which is sometimes to sweep up the conference room. And that's like, I love that that is their go-to like the best job is the one that comes you through. Get to like, yeah. yeah. You get to eat the you leftover snacks. Stuff. You get to hear stuff. Mm -hmm. You get to see the bridge crew, Ooh. but none of this actually happens to you. You're just turning a wrench while it happens. And I really, I liked the show, that show specifically for, I mean, regardless of anything else, I thought a lot of the jokes were funny. A lot of the characters and the stories were interesting. I thought a lot of the uses of a lot of things were very cool. But what I loved most about it in retrospect is, yeah, making the small things. Yes, those are true parts of Star Trek, like all these sort of little you know? weird jobs. And yeah, that's- I'm kind of into it. It's sort of iterating on that one dude that was like in the next generation and, and all the way not, through to Voyager. You better put some respect on Lieutenant Reginald Barkley's name. 
I was trying to remember it. I'm sorry, but I love him. I love Barkley. Right? He's like, no, I'm not getting in a transporter. It's scary. Yeah. We should get uh, Amy and Corey's latest watches. Amy, what have you been watching? You have to be watching oh. something Star Trek adjacent because, <laughs> or make something up. I don't know. No, no please. What do you, yeah. What have you been enjoying lately? I have actually, um, I have, I have not attended Star Trek since our last confession. Um, oh, and I feel terrible no. about it. But what I want to go back and watch next is that Kareel episode, the first Trill episode, where like yeah. Riker gets a Trill for a minute and then it goes into a woman. Because I feel like um, the person it ends up in, Kareel, is like. Mm -hmm. The ultimate metaphor for transbians, which is um, yeah. yeah, and I love that about it because like the clear bold answer would definitely have been to be like, all right, I'm still into you. That would have been the best because like I have been with people during transition, and it's like if you approach that as you know a queer person who doesn't really give a shit what somebody's gender is in the first place, it becomes this like really cool transformative process of like learning this person all over again and like sort of getting to rediscover this person you love. Um, right. But obviously that was like so early, you know, like you can't. That's 91. Yeah. Like, that is the 23rd episode of the season four. Right. Like they were never going to get that past. Yeah, and like, one of the biggest moments of, of chickening out in Star Trek. You know, there's so yeah. many moments where Star Trek chickens out. And, yeah. and there's like one that just sets the format for how you chicken out in Star Trek. Yeah, but, but there was, I mean, it wasn't that much longer afterwards. I mean, I don't remember what year it aired, but there was that episode in Deep Space Nine where um, where Dax met or, you know, reunited, I should say, yeah. with, with her former spouse from a previous host and, you know, were exploring mm -hmm. their still very fresh and, and intense feelings for one another, although they had completely different hosts and completely different lives and mm -hmm. i you know they really leaned into it in that particular case and it I, I don't i don't think it was that much later than the one in in tng so you know yeah definitely agree with you they chickened out big time in the tng episode but i, I felt like that was a a really bold exploration well and i think tng was the one where they played it safest with like yeah. everything with everything well, in DS9, you know, was the other side of the 90s. Yeah. Like, as I tell time, that was Ani DeFranco's Not So Soft versus Ani DeFranco's Little Plastic Castle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those. What? <laughs> <laughs> no one else likes folk music. It's okay. No, I, that yeah, tracks sorry. entirely. I'm, I'm going to tell you now, but... <laughs> um, let me say it this way it was um ani defranco's not so soft to ani defranco's not a pretty girl <laughs> i still don't know any of these no you stick with little plastic castles that's a change of tone i think that really you're marking look you know what this is not that <laughs> podcast you can come back for our ani defranco cast on the patreon we will do a uh possibly more than one episode about that but not here not today so uh yeah, no, the trill are a very weird species that they've definitely now done a variety of things with and gone like a little weird with in they've gone further with it, especially into discovery. <laughs> well, they just made right? it. They went. Yeah, because they went from. So they basically just went from trills being implicitly trans to this trill in particular being very explicitly trans. And it's just like they're just continuing to lean into the trans metaphor, which honestly, fine. I'm kind of into it. I, I think that it's cool yeah. to that kind of representation happening to see people talking about gender presenting gender in challenging ways and making people think about it you know i'm here for it yeah i mean sabrina has to do a quarter of an episode a season about theo and i watch the whole thing yes exactly <laughs> i just find the trill is so weird to me because like you have you have do they have like extra room inside of their abdominal cavity to facilitate the housing of a whole other organism and the rest of them are just kind of like can breathe a little better it, I, I love them so much but they they're just such a shut up paul it's, it's, it's like fucking watch the show you know if we can develop an entire microbiome just from the shit that lives on our skin i believe that this like specific species of aliens could have like developed such that their bodies better accepted them you know yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not here to ask too many questions of this, really, because I, I'm not. Again, I'm good. I like a character with 900 years of personality and ex-wives and shit walking. 
in the galaxy. They're a great storytelling mechanism. They, yeah, yeah, it's fun all around. So, well, just take cats for example, right? We have that infection that we share with our house cats that makes us more affectionate to them. Oh yeah, toxoplasmosis. We are talking about a thing that is like the size of a, of a cat. We're not talking about a microbe or. They're like, not the I'm just saying, like this is this is just one plausible mode of entry towards a coevolution, right? Like yeah. just just as much as cordyceps is. Like there are yeah. all sorts of um, avenues to you know this is an evolutionary pathway that has so many converging branches. What Amy said. I'm still Borg all the way. I will not be moved. <laughs> Your distinctiveness will be made into our own. This is the difference between the statists and the anarchists. <laughs> found it. Not even that much of a statist. It's like, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean. So back on so, it. Oh, the anarcho-technocrat? <laughs> yeah, well, look, if it's a distributed network, it doesn't need a centralized node. Oh, my God. Who knows? Like, um, oh, so let's, uh, that being said, we're talking about bureaucracy today, having, having blown a hole in the uh, first segment and moved right on through into the vacuum of space. We find ourselves seeking structure and oh by golly, <laughs> has Starfleet got it. So it's a Navy, like, right. It's so done. we're like, yeah, let's talk about what it, it is a Navy, right? Starfleet, yeah. it, it is very much modeled on pose a one world government and world and like sort of, um, league of nations kind of approach and in United Nations, NATO kind of approach. Cause that's where Roddenberry yep. came out from. Yeah. And yeah. sort of, yeah, he is like, oh, what is it? Oh, it's a Navy, but in space. But instead of kill everything, their job is to look at stuff, which is cool. But ultimately, admirals, like the civilian authority, we talk about a little bit. Uh, but yeah, who do you guys? I mean, ultimately, this is a bunch of people who have to write reports. We've talked about that before, too. But it's yeah. yeah. I mean, do people vote for the civilian authority? Uh, so the Federation is a civilian authority. Starfleet is their Navy. And each planet who has joined the Federation as a member state, if you will, a member planet, member world, whatever. They butcher the terminology, I'm sure, through various iterations. But that being said, the stars and the flag represent the worlds and uh, systems that are within the yeah. Federation. Right. And I mean, it's just like a couple different like spacefaring civilizations, right, that are like together. That's really what it comes down to. They are united by being civilizations that created a space imprint and they have agreed to share their space in this way which i think is kind of hilarious and honestly is extremely anthropocentric and i love that about it because it is like this perfect lack of imagination that typifies all of the worst <laughs> parts of star trek classic klingon <laughs> response hear me out though i uh, know i'm here for it i'm just this is yeah. this is the, this is the klingon response yeah this is where they come they come from this in a yeah in a undiscovered country and um uh in discovery quite often and well Yes. Well, and and I think, um, you know, the thing about bureaucracy and the thing about like navies and armies and these things, every single one of them is built around the assumption of a great person, a great man leading these armies. They are built from the very foundation of like their ethos upwards around the assumption that there is one central decision maker who needs to be able to bring in shitloads of information to themselves and disseminate shitloads of information out very, very quickly. It is not designed to be the most efficient, period. It is designed to be the most efficient for one person to be in charge of a shitload of things. And that right there, that is the actual part of bureaucracy that is problematic that makes Star Trek for all of its like hopeful and optimistic sort of ideologies like ultimately it is kind of a show about space colonialism oh it definitely is and it's, it's really it's a show about forcing your culture into other places or like conquering even in this sort of almost abstracted sort of academic sense the unknowns Oh, no, you're still very, you got the frontier, but you also have a bunch of people who you under sort of a protectorate, which, yeah, there are a variety yeah. of worlds that produce dilithium or some chemical or whatever that are the subject of Planet of the Week episode X, Y, and Z. And they are also Federation worlds or on the negotiation. And that's, yeah, ultimately, which I mean, this is uh, getting back to lower decks. Their job is second contact, which is a fun, like, oh, right. Part of the bureaucracy is like, oh, yeah, yeah. Enterprise shows up like, oh, shit. Hey, guys, welcome to the thing. So I'm going to buy with flags and whatever later, which is, yeah, again, <laughs> that that's part of this is you have to. Yeah. The bureaucracy of this whole iterating yeah, this thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak up for bureaucracy a little bit because it is also how you imprint an idea. If you can make, because it is by, I mean, like ultimately you're, it is a way to centralize authority, but if you are centralizing, it is a way to keep an idea to make that imprint the same. 
to keep its continuity through the process because ultimately like starfleet is run by a council of some kind usually it's just some older actor that comes in as the admiral that's bringing starfleet council's orders but it is arguably less unifyingly authoritarian than that and i mean again there's only so much you can do to make an idea that you aren't expressing personally the same over millions and millions of light years yeah so my i guess my overarching argument that I will continue to return to throughout this episode is just at the end of the day, bureaucracy is, it is a teleology, right? Like it exists to describe itself, uh, but it, it is ultimately not actually true to the manner in which people engage with problem solving and each other and society itself. It is not actually accurate to the kinds of negotiations we are constantly doing with it and around it. And ultimately, I think it is an obsolete vestige of feudalism and monarchy and, you know, even further back than patriarchy, just despotry, really. And having Empire one culture. person be in charge. Yeah. Well, I'm Empire itself. to make sure you're getting your, the correct taxes out of the out of the uh, peasantry and feudal, like the yeah, yeah I, I mean I, I think it serves it serves as sort of a symbol. It, it is itself a sign, right? It's a simulacrum, not actually what's happening. And that's the argument I'm gonna keep coming back to. Well, well, let me ask you all this. I mean, this kind of like, I mean, essentially what we're describing is that bureaucracy is, is achieving this kind of homogeneity. Right. Establish a reason why that should be an ideal in our culture. Well, so let me jump on this, which is, a, let me know, it, it is a hammer. A bureaucracy is uh, technology. It is a way to create relatively uniform engagement with disparate parts. It is not the objective. It is what you aim it towards. In general, yeah. But guess who's been using most of the tools of any of organization and collective process? It's been feudalists and capitalists, and like it has been those people. So like it has done that work. But right it, to the extent that it can be put towards like, oh hey, you don't get a global electrical grid or even a national connected electrical grid, right? So like right now real time while we're recording texas is out of power because they have disconnected their state's grid because they didn't want to participate in regulatory action and also threw a bunch of money at dividends rather than doing maintenance like california but the specific issue one of them is that they are not connected to the national grid so can't draw on other sources because such would cause yeah. them regulation you don't get that kind of like redundant power grid without right a bureaucracy like we're i'm I, I love human ingenuity and sort of indep independent creativity but it's just not always the same quality of output as like a million people punching a button and like i think that both things are that is not diminish human activity to say yeah sometimes you gotta go to a fucking dumb job and do a dumb thing but that thing right. makes the rest of the machine work and bureaucracy is one of the yeah, I, I've got I got one thing I want to add on to that, because like, I'm I'm definitely in Paul's camp here on what bureaucracy in the Trek world represents. And that is like we're talking about society and for society on any level to function, there always has to be some kind of agreement about how decisions are made, um, how resources are allocated. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that comes mm -hmm. down to one person that is, you know, certainly that has been done for much of our own history. And, and there's plenty of examples of that in the Trekverse as well. But the, the best versions of that have worked out ways for the most people to have the, the most input into how these decisions are made and to have uh, accountability and transparency. And I think that a lot of that is built into the bureaucracy in Trek. Is it perfect? Oh, hell no. Hell no. We see plenty of, of examples of that bureaucracy getting in the way of the right decision. We see plenty of examples of that bureaucracy slowing things down. But if section 31 my god i mean like there's yep. so many problems right you create a space for that to hide exactly in. there is definitely problems with it but yeah, i, I yeah. just cannot conceive of how how you could get so many planets and different alien cultures working together in any kind of common cause and in peace without having some level of bureaucracy yeah well, so I, I'm going to challenge y'all here a bit because I think those are very good questions, right? Like, how do we begin to approach that? Um, and I, I want to, I think, refine what we are talking about when we talk about bureaucracy, right? Because bureaucracy in the sense of like record keeping and 
immediate communication and accountability and transparency, right? Like taking notes on the meeting that are available to anybody who wants them, right? That is a type of record keeping that is, it implies bureaucracy, but it does not itself constitute bureaucracy, right? When it extends past like communicating the immediate events that are happening, communicating with the larger body of people who are trying to make a decision when they're, you know, voting or whatever. When it extends past that immediate use case and becomes itself sort of a fetishization of measurement, that to me is really when it becomes like bureaucracy as such, right? Is when it when it becomes sort of focused on making the number go up, whether that number is, you know, productivity or taxes or, you know, sure, birth it's, it's, rates it's, it's, or it's, whatever, right? It's, it's confusing. It yeah, it, it's, it's confusing a dialectic for a teleology, right? It's, it's confusing this very complicated system of things that are already happening for like a talisman that creates order by way of being written when that's never actually been how any of this works. Do you guys feel like Star Trek's bureaucracy grew up with your awareness of your bureaucracy? You know, like as an 80s kid, the definition of bureaucracy in TNG is there's always someone to call, right? Like there's always a starship nearby. That's what the bureaucracy of the Federation amounts to. And then when you get to DS9, it's like the bureaucracy of the Federation starts to amount to there's always someone to tell you no. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to Disco and it's like... What does even bureaucracy mean? Well, even in, even yeah. both in Voyager and Enterprise, there's a lot of that as well. Because Enterprise, they're literally making rules up as they go. And, you know, Voyager, like Janeway's fucked off to the... What if uh, there was some primary rule or some kind of directive <laughs> I could follow? I was I would just thinking that. about that line today. <laughs> like, if there was some kind of general directive of, like, primacy that we could, you know, that was awful. I would follow that, but I can't. So I'm going to do what the writers want to do. Injunction, yeah, a first yeah. injunction. No, I mean, so, so right. I agree with you. Like, I think that, 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 you know, what we're seeing in Discovery is also was like introduced in the series of Voyager and, and Enterprise because of the, the nature of their plots. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one, uh, Amy. I, I think perhaps not even as much as it was about like the progression of the shows, but just who's in charge, right? Because the shows in the 80s were being made by Gen X, right? Because those were the young, cool writers that everybody wanted to tap at that point were, you know, Gen X. Uh, and... And Roddenberry was like even older, than, like way older than Baby Boomer, right? Right, right, exactly. Like he's like a contemporary with Robert Heinlein and stuff. Yeah, no, he's very hip for an old man. <laughs> well, read Robert Heinlein. He thought he was pretty hip too. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, and I mean right. that's yeah. like the process. Like, I look forward to the day when I'm old and uncool because that'll be fucking awesome. I, yeah, I cannot Jeff, wait for the turbo communists in 2050 <laughs> to give me the wall. Like, I'm excited about it. That will mean my work here is done and I'm ready to go. <laughs> the kids are gonna find a new way to have sex, and you're gonna think it's a little weird, but you're yeah, gonna have yeah. to let it go <laughs> because shut up. <laughs> but I also think this is where generation and generational cohorts become really relevant. Gen X is the last generation for whom bureaucracy actually was successful. Uh, and a little bit of the, some of the elder millennials, like the Xennials, just barely scraped in before the system collapsed beyond being useful to literally anybody. But everybody who's like under the age of 37, give or take, is in this situation where the system has never worked for us. It has always clearly been just an obvious lie. Like the symbols themselves mean nothing. And, you know, we have this massive system of people who drank the fucking kool-aid on bureaucracy and think that because it didn't screw them over completely that it was the reason they made it through and it was okay when in reality like their success was always happening in spite of it oh i'll just like tack on really quick to that so like that that might explain kind of where i'm coming down on this because i am technically gen x but i'm on the cusp of you know, I'm in that that like latter range right before millennials kick in. And I definitely am not somebody who believes that the system was always designed to work. Like I've, I've known for quite some time that it is definitely right. rigged against almost all of us. But I do see a useful purpose for a system to exist. 
and for a system that is is well designed and well intentioned yeah. and has proper oversight and transparency could work i think that so that's probably yeah. explaining where my my mindset's coming from yeah. Well, and also, I don't think all systems of communication and like agreement are themselves bureaucratic. Like, I think there are ways of doing this that are not bureaucracy, that are much more democratic than a bureaucracy, sure, actually. Sure. So I want to speak up in literally my own defense as one of the <laughs> elder millennials, AK, and I, which I'm calling actually, I much prefer doomers, um, <laughs> which... Yeah, get, we're going to get that on a shirt. Um, that being said, I think that my approach, I agree, you're right. Like, okay, so yeah, that's a fair point because I do, I now, but having now, like have worked in customer support and I know that the whole point of customer support is to diminish your outrage into the point where you stop bothering us, not necessarily to solve your problem. Because either we know the problem exists and we're trying to fix it and you calling isn't helping or we can't fix it and you need to go away or we will fix it later. But I mean, ultimately, the objective of that point of the bureaucracy is not to serve to actually do what it's intended or to achieve the larger. I don't know. It is a question of what that thing is applied towards. Let's um, I mean, Star Trek is a hopeful place, right? And I think the most hopeful thing about the bureaucracy of Star Trek is not the centralization of it, but its method of ensuring that no matter the location, there's always someone there that has needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few on the tip of their tongue. And the authority yeah. to invoke it and like, to call it out. Let's right. ensure that in every corner of the Federation, there's a person that has this as their ideal, as their cultural ideal, you know? Yeah. I mean, I ultimately disagree with that statement, too. But that's like, oh, that's, that's, um, I guess the, the kind of core difference, right? This idea, like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I disagree with that because my answer to that is always, we should find the version where we don't have to choose. Hmm. I like you know? that. What's the version of this where the needs of everybody are met, yeah. including the few, where we mutually recognize in each other a inherent value in the form of there just being a sentience here, in the form of there being life here, in the form of this, you know, magnificent accident of not just the literally cosmically unlikely event of life at all, but that that life should, by happenstance, develop over billions of years to the point where it now knows itself as life, right? That is something magnificent and like holy, right? And that sort of transcendent, unbelievable accident of consciousness is the most valuable thing in existence. Yeah. In as much as it, it has to exist for value to exist. It is where value springs from, right? And so that is sacred, right? And that is, to me, that is the like ethos we should be spreading, right? Is not just like that we should be mathematically weighing things. Nothing expresses right? this more than the contrast between the end of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and the end of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. I mean, right. this is literally that, that, well, I mean, that is that, that uh, just to drag us back into subject matter, sorry. Uh, but right, like that tension happens, right? Like they spot, that, that's, spot yeah. that, that expression is self-sacrificial. It is, I think, better read that way, right? The needs of the few is not supposed to be those people. It's supposed to be me. Yeah, there, there has yeah. to be a difference between a society asking the few to suffer for the many and an individual deciding to sacrifice for the many. I think is the intention you know? right. Like, for right. Like, like the latter has to be yeah. what we mean, not the former. And I think that right. like the problem is in our society, the former is what people mean. Yeah, right. And I think, yeah, Spock is giving us that with, no, I'm going to go do this. Y'all chill. Also, I'm going to put my soul into bones and give him psychological <laughs> trauma. And then my best friend's yeah. going to save me because I got thrown into a magic terraforming bomb. But that's its own problem. They they didn't mean to. They didn't know they were going to get a third movie. Um <laughs> <laughs> the truth of it is, and I think this is something actually that Janeway in particular grapples with a lot, you know, is like even just because it is sort of the inciting action of Voyager as a series, right, is she makes this decision to take the long way home. Rather than let the Kazon show up or have the caretaker pull more people in. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I, you know, I think that moment and not just in the sense of that episode but sort of in the star trek franchise it was sort of them trying to explore 
that, you know, like to what extent when you take these values outside of this very orderly system of bureaucracy, what happens to these values? And how do you actually- Well, like- Deep Space Nine does. Yeah, Deep Space Nine does this too, but not. I I think in a way that's Voyager not like as much a of a character study. Explicitly doing it too, where they're like, yeah, no, well, we have to murder these guys. They're the only exactly. ones with the thing. And it's well, because like, like that's oh, that's okay. kind of the core question of Voyager, right? Is what happens when you take these bureaucratic values outside of the bureaucracy itself and test them against chaos? And the truth is, they don't yeah. always work super well, you know. And it and it's because in order to work, everybody has to believe in those rules. And I think ultimately, what we should be doing is finding things that are more essential than that, right? Like, I don't think we should need these fetishes, not in the sexual sense, but in the sense of like these objects that we think have power of rules. You know, I think what we need is to lean into a kind of relationship, which is the only thing that's real, you know? Some sort of strength through <laughs> so, vulnerability. Like, like you're right, Voyager does grapple with this overall, but there is a very specific episode of Voyager um, where they meet the other crew that got, the other Starfleet crew that got pulled in. And yeah. those guys have just completely abandoned their you know like they're in total anarchy and they've imprisoned a a sentient alien creature and are torturing it to try and to serve their own objectives and Janeway's like no fuck you that's not going to happen and we're putting it into this and that is that argument that you were just making distilled down into a perfect microcosm in that specific episode I mean it, it and, and yeah. I, I do think that in, uh, I think it was, I can't remember if it was uh, you, Amy, or if it was Paul that were, were saying like what we mean when we, I think it was you, Amy, when we were saying um, like what we mean by the needs of the many versus the needs of the few expressed as a, an individual sacrifice as opposed to like how it, it appears in our society right now. And it's, it's hard to get our brains around that because of what we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis where we're constantly being thrown onto the, the pyre and you know being burned and and just demolished so that uh, a handful of billionaires can you know buy a fifth yacht but in the trek universe like that is it, like the the sanctity of life that you were talking about Rachel like that is so paramount and we see that too in in next generation when we look at the crystalline entity um once they begin to discover that the crystalline entity is not just this murderous rampaging machine but it's actually a sentient creature that they might be able to communicate with then they start to embark on that journey and then boom it yeah. gets murdered by a grieving mother it's so so these issues are definitely grappled with in all the storylines that we we experience but i think that if we look at the rules of the trek universe like the sanctity of life does always especially sentient life but life in general always is paramount over whatever rules might be written down on paper unless you're too big yeah, unless you're Tuvix. <laughs> R.I.P. Tuvix. Although, honestly, they had the option. You know, they were both there in Tuvix, and they could have agreed to go back if both sides of Tuvix had wanted it. So I don't know. That's a whole separate debate we should have later. I mean, you can replicate the Riker experiment, the Riker yeah. phenomenon. You could just... Yeah. Like you could do like do both things at once and then you end up with eight guys that are all a quarter of it. No, that's weird. That's, um, you know, I'm do whatever you want to do, I guess. But no, what I wanted to bring up um, as sort of a counterbalance to this too, is like there are characters who really illustrate how it's not the bureaucracy that produces the good behavior, right? Cause like Lorca gets dropped yep. in in disco to the bureaucracy of like the quote unquote good Trek universe. And I mean, fits perfectly into that bureaucracy. It nurtures and cradles his evil, you know, plans and deeds right up until he's like finally formally outed as an imposter. But before that, he was literally torturing a sentient being, right? Because he wanted to get around with the the um, spore drive. I was going to present the torture of that being as a contradiction to our Star Trek values life, but you just disproved that (laughs) premise right there. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they do put it in with the wrestling with what actions do you take during wartime? And ultimately, I think it falls short in terms like, yeah, they they make they fall on the correct moral stance, but it is not like that it is not unaddressed, untreated in or it falls into a larger treatment of that question. But. Well, and I think in a way, the step Disco is making sort of philosophically, um, like we were kind of talking about earlier, like depending on when you were born is how you feel about bureaucracy. I think one of the big philosophical steps 
disco is making is they are no longer looking at these as like even really context dependent ideologies right but completely abandoning like almost this idea of this is what is moral to do in this sort of deontological sense where you know you just have a set of rules once you know all morality spreads right it's it's much more about like hey no you have to follow your gut too you have to just go with what feels kind and right and what is decreasing the suffering around you to the best of your ability without you know compromising on other people you're saying like context is for kings well i think no i think there's a i think there's a way to to i think and i think the art the best case scenario and sort of best argument for bureaucracy and what ultimately the one i make is that if you give that bureaucracy room as starfleet appears to for that to be a value that you can in fact count on and invoke and that like sort of what what's been like if you see suffering say something do something make give a shit about suffering right yeah we we care about that as an institutional value and like actually do it which again that's a that's a capital question right like there's a question of the way capital is sort of organized organizations right now and that the production of the product the provision of the service the doing of the thing for the person is not actually the outcome it's making the line go up but that is i mean that does not speak to the organization a form of organization itself because it's that's its objective like any I don't know. Well, let's do it. You guys want to do a field trip in a second? Yes, but the reason I brought up Lorca specifically as somebody who was thriving within that bureaucracy while also doing tremendously evil things is because, like, the bureaucracy was never where that was coming from, right? Like, it was not the system of rules that were responsible for that sort of culture of valuing life and valuing, you know, sort of decreases in suffering as inherently good, right, and desirable just because they are good. That ethos, right, that is cultural. That is about a relationship ongoing with another person in front of you as part of an ongoing dialogue, right? That is something essentially different and reinforced in fundamentally different ways from any bureaucracy because it is a fundamentally social approach. And there's no way to bureaucratize that. You can't write down a system of rules and exclusions that will account for every interpersonal relationship. All you can do is create equitable systems of communication and checking in immediately with the person in front of you. It's always that. All of the bureaucracy we put up around it is sort of talismanic. You know, it's it's us writing down things we are already doing. And if we ever get confused and mistake it for, you know, a set of rules instead of a set of reflections, we immediately lose the plot and fall into baser states because we stop holding ourselves accountable as individuals to, you know, being actual members of our community with the people who are immediately in front of us, unalienated and material in our shared space, because that's all there really is. Well, this goes back to the last chat we talked about where I was like, okay, you can always talk to everybody, right? Why isn't everyone in Star Trek by the time they're 20, like completely like subservient to all their past relationships if there's no reason for them to end, but somehow they're all focused on community activities all the time. Because they have to go to open mic night. Bureaucracy (laughs) makes you go to Data's poetry reading. It's weird, but it makes us all friends. Yeah. I think, you know. You broke me. Well, your distinctiveness will be folded into our own. That's what I'm getting at, Paul. I don't think, like homogeneity is the actual answer here i think we have on a starship i mean they don't do the again the we're talking about a navy (laughs) we're talking about inside of a system of science so like i'm also like we're talking about high-end research and we're talking about interchangeable starship parts yeah and high-end like sort of scientific chemistry concepts this all does require a very specialized language and knowledge set which you have to put together some uniform testing like you do need to make sure everyone knows what up fucking up it's so good that science has ever been that in human history too it's so good how the actual like empirical study of things has never actually just been like germ theory is only a hundred years old come on 
No, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like those things are so much newer than bureaucracy. Even just the things we know about like human behavior and how we actually work are so much newer than bureaucracy. And what I am telling you is the scientific evidence suggests that bureaucracy is just a really convincing lie. But to share that scientific evidence, you require a system of uniforms, like a mechanism yeah, but are by you which checking? that- But that doesn't have to like, be bureaucracy, you, that's, right? And that's what that I'm saying, That just has to be right? a network. Exactly. And it's only ever been a network. And that's why I kind of am getting to, I think at this point, this is a question of <laughs> what is the line? Because like bureaucracy at common meaning is, yeah, a bunch of people doing paperwork, which there clearly are. Mm -hmm. And they're clearly are going to continue to be. Right. Right. And like, what is the objective of those people doing the paperwork? Is it to make sure the number goes up? Kind of. What's the number? And then now, yeah, again, yeah. this is the navigation of all of these spaces. Like, what if there was a bureaucracy that was like number go down and the number was human suffering? Well, let's let's go see what let's else we got. The Alpha Quadrant, a land of contrasts. Uh, where we're gonna take a, we're gonna go check out some of the bureaucracies of our our favorite, uh, you know, Star Trek other species. Uh, so we've, uh, yeah, Ferengi is fun because yeah, it's a trade federation. It at least makes some, it makes some sense, or at least enough sense as all right, you guys just go places and you make deals. It's weird that you have a bad reputation, but you do seem to be able to get everything. So that's odd, but it is built under a giant corporate business mm -hmm. mercantilist kind of structure and kind of looks backwards into the past and it seems like by the end of deep space nine spoiler alert for a show that ended 20 years ago they are kind of moving in a more i mean towards federation membership which we don't really get a lot of in the most recent discovery but i'm hoping we do we'll see how that goes for them but yeah so but there's other ways to and like that's sort of the commerce authority seems to be the major piece of that that seems like they're sort of enforcement authority they don't really seem to have soldiers which is very strange but hey what you gonna do there um well it's about something isn't it god damn it gene what do you guys like you got uh, romulans your army of people whose entire lives are based on lying and kind of run by yeah. their intelligence agency yeah i think probably the most libertarian structure is um actually the vulcans interesting yeah uh they rely really really heavily on like social expectation and like duty uh, in a way that is i think actually like very individualistic and very focused on now you're speaking max <laughs> sterner's language what it requires right. all of them conquer individually their emotion they have a weird religion yes, thing exactly. to do it but it, it's it's almost confucianist right there's this very very strong social element of it but like they don't have a lot of like rules and regulations either like not formal ones because everything else they do is so like rigidly logical right and so like they have these sort of agreed upon precepts culturally but they are otherwise just always using judgment uh, and I think actually probably theirs is going to also be the least bureaucratic system for exactly that reason because it really relies on trusting individual agents to act appropriately. Now, are you trying to say that the thing about rules is that the good people don't need them and the bad people don't follow them? Haha, <laughs> 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 what? Well, no, they don't. I mean, that is a problem with rules, it's, but they have a series of rules that, that they use and like a massive sort of mystical as they unpack religious structure that keeps their emotions in check. Like they don't have none. Yeah. They have their society has conquered them. So, I mean, their religion is all those weird people wearing necklaces made out of colored plexiglass. Right. Standing in the weird desert, of which there are several. Which, honestly, how far removed is that from Burning Man if you just, instead of having it be a bunch of rich people flexing, was just, like, any other, like, actually decent okay. burn, right? Yeah. Like, they're Listen, just a bunch Burning of Man, burners. Burning Man would definitely be a Klingon thing, first of all. Second... I That's do true. think that we have to make an argument that the Klingons are also strong contenders for libertarian society because they also rely on a complex set of social expectations and ruled by their honor, um, just as Vulcans are ruled by their logic. And, you know... But they aren't actually, not in I practice. Do, I do want to, before we leave Vulcan, I do want to point out that their 
form of ritual combat is an oral defense of a PhD and there's a little magic drum they they beat. It's fun. It's such a wonderful, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. tradition in their university sort of, but like anyone can invoke it if they're, if you've done, if you've been to school, you can invoke the thing. It's a kind of, it's a very, also, yeah, but it's good. It's great. I think it's an awesome, it, like, I, before we leave have. Vulcan, just why to throw it like, yeah. And I, I want to wrap up Vulcan with like one sort of final observation. We know Vulcans are heavily inspired by Jewish culture and you're not going to believe this, but Jewish culture is really big into like discussing things now, like talking about the problem, like openly. Like that's like actually a huge part of Jewish culture, right? It's just negotiating and and understanding that you can't get out of doing the negotiating because there is no set of perfect rules. And I think that is exactly like that is how they do it, right? Their entire ethos is just built around using your best possible judgment. Well, okay. Last thing we got to say about Vulcans, though, is pretty weird for a allegedly libertarian society to be so big into arranged marriages. Honestly, I mean, the thing is, like, there's right and left libertarianism, you know? And I think that, like, Vulcans could arguably be left libertarianism and Klingons could arguably no, that makes be sense. right libertarianism. Or they're straight up feudalists, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and with houses that are completely autonomous under the empire around the, well, it's the a emperor. Coherent yeah. Libertarianism. Because if if they kill you, you they get your stuff, and that's a coherent yeah. libertarianism. Yeah. What do you want the nanny state to come protect your property for you? <laughs> Fuck you. Do you yeah. even deserve your things? Why did you exactly. nail them well, down? It's that sort of embracing. It's embracing power itself as the determinant, right? Well, in honor, so like the open confrontation, you can't just you can't just stab a guy, like poison a guy. Yeah, you yeah. gotta be like, no, I will fight you now in front of all these people, and then I, Worf, will accidentally be president <laughs> of Klingon. Oops. <laughs> and then I'll just give it to a guy that, that I know. So because, libertarian. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, like that's, oh, here, it's the magic coat. You get to wear it now. Like, ooh, I don't want the magic coat. I got this funny out. Oh, God, I he hasn't even been to his Klingon bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting at here. But I mean, I think also like right libertarianism always devolves into feudalism in some capacity or another. That is the like natural sure. end state of allowing power to determine yeah, for who sure. gets what. But also, at the end of the day, like, well, and I say power, what I really mean is violence. That is the natural end point of violence is feudalism every single time. There is no higher order society when you are using violence as a coercive tool. Are you saying you reject the state's monopoly on violence? Haha, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Look, I'm not, a, I'm not a gardener, but I know what political power grows out of. Well, and left libertarians tend to be uh, pro, like, Second Amendment, actually. One of the left libertarians I know and love who ran for office in Georgia, District 73, his name's Will Harris, and y'all should give him money for his next campaign. One of his sort of slogans is guns democratized violence, right? And guns in that capacity actually allowed us to get past a point as a society where violence itself was like or being physically large and strong was the thing that determined who was in charge um and i think you know those two tenets really do reflect each other well if that makes sense i mean i really started considering carrying a gun when i came out as trans yeah yeah (laughs) Like, I'm going to hate crime anybody right back. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that there is a difference between, like, personal armament and oh, drone sure. strikes, too, right? Like, I think having, like, a small personal weapon you can use to escape an immediate emergency should be allowed forever. And also, there should never be another tank. And I think we can live with both of these, you know? And I, I think, in a way, the purpose of the Vulcans and Klingons as sort of foils to each other in the Star Trek universe was to underscore, to emphasize the position of the Federation between those two mm-hmm. sort of more extremes. Um, or not the Federation, but humans between those two extremes within the Federation. Yeah. I mean, they also are all kind of incoherent and make as much sense as they do, right? That it's yeah. definitely just a weird, like the honor system isn't really there. They're yeah. real dicks about a lot of stuff and kind of real catty and thick. Yeah. Well, and I mean, my argument for all of this, bringing it back home, right, has been and always will be none of the none of the rules are what determine the behavior. 
the rules are descriptions of preferred behavior. Uh, and at the end of the day, no amount of writing or bookkeeping or transparency is ever going to get you out of the work. You, the person listening to this, you, the person on the other side of this call, you, the hypothetical alien that might be picking this up somehow. My apologies. Please come by after all. Some of us are cool. Yeah, some of us are chill. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be weird about it. But no, like, for real, like, I, I don't think there's anything that ever gets us out of doing the immediate work of interacting with the person in front of us in a way that is ethical. You know, every single one of us at the end of the day has to make the same decision over and over and over again, which is I will be good to this person because they're a person. I will be good to them because they are a person. I will be good to them because they are a person over and over and over and over again. And it's just that. That is what any of this ever has been, ever will be. And all of the other rules we put around it are, again, just descriptions of what we would prefer. Are you trying to imply that the Dura sisters are not governed by their Klingon honor? <laughs> Shot fired, Rachel. <laughs> Real housewives of, the, of Kronos. I mean... I mean, They're pretty badass. Based, based on what I was paying attention to, they have four <laughs> times the owner Worf does. That's not where the honor is kept. I don't believe that's not you're thinking of. Well, mind. you know, they have two of everything. So. <laughs> Except Mame, which they just didn't have the. They look. They would have needed four it's times total recalls. The budget. fucking cojones for a four titty bitch. That's why. That's how this happened. And it's it's fine because you know what we're gonna have our gay space communist four titty future. I don't give a shit. Are they are they on the back? Show us show us your fan art, please. Don't. Send us no no. Draw Maybe. me with as many tits as you want. It's fine. Just put a cab on space it. cast though. Hear me. The most important question: How many assholes does a Klingon have? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of I'm you're it's two. I'm sorry. That's easy. That's too easy. I mean. But but does duplication of organs really make sense there? Because like no, what you want no, is like doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> like two, having two hearts makes total sense, right? Having guys two in blackface. Hearts. Now it's this. But having two buttholes, wouldn't you just have an extra long one? Actually, colon? no, you wouldn't. And here's why. I hate myself for knowing this, but these are things I actually know about embryological development. In order to have two of everything like that, it would have to happen at an early enough stage of embryological development that it would still just be a single Galaxy tube. Brain. Right? Galaxy so like brain. there is a single like tube when you are a tiny embryo developing. There's just the one tube that happens. It starts out with like your spinal cord and then other other tubes form around that one tube, but really that is where we all start. Uh, and so what would happen is that tube stage, there would just be two of them happening and every other part of it would be identical all the way through next to and around each other, including at the end of it, two sphincters, because it is always just one tube from your mouth all the way to your asshole. It's just one tube. What an elegant. Oh, so we're going to say it like it's a, like there's this dual esophagi running down the chamber. And yes. Then like a yeah. Whole duplicated uh, entire Almanary tract, yes. both 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 channels, double barrel. <laughs> Their anatomy is a fucking eldritch <laughs> nightmare. Great. Yeah, they don't have doctors because why? <laughs> you would never need them. Like, what are the categories on um, Klingon Pornhub? No, like, no, nope, no, no. That's a different <laughs> Hell episode. Yes. That's a different. That's a different episode. Amy, so, I'm here uh, for it. This will be a uh, Patreon only experience where we will just go into detail about all of our fan fictions oh, that we definitely oh. are going to make up for this and didn't already have. <laughs> the Borg is definitely, as we've discussed, my favorite because oh, look, everything's fine. Everyone's doing their job. They're having a nice time until yeah. the queen gets established. Like the board queen is a very is a strange sort of changeover for that. But like as a collective, it is a perfectly distributed system. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like ethically speaking, the Borg is probably the best way to do it. They are all doing the same thing. They want the same thing together and they're doing it. Well, and they established like canonically that they weigh the whole thing as like one giant brain, but like it is functionally speaking democratic because all of those inputs are being weighed equally. Well, once they're assimilated, they're democratic. It's not not voluntary to join. Yeah, it's like the Shakers that way. It's actually not at all like the Shakers. So like you need like the Federation board. Well, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> they need they need bureaucracy. Yeah. But then again, 
again, I would argue that's technocracy. It's a totally different situation. It is a very different situation. I don't actually advocate for this, but golly, it's simpler, isn't it? I mean, fuck. I do think actually, and this is something I've talked about a lot, um, what my ideal system is a group of randomly selected people uh, with very short terms like jury duty who are responsible for making the decisions as a collective. Because the actual like balance of human beings is pretty much the same if you really get us like randomly. You keep the term short so if you happen to randomly select like the fluke group of psychopaths or whatever like they can't do too much damage and then like that's it. Like you can just let people make decisions on an as-needed basis for like specific issues that you draw as lots like that's fine it works statistically speaking we are normal enough that you can just do that and i assume that like that's kind of how the borg are doing it right and i think in that capacity actually that is a really good model to just sort of get the gestalt impression of what everybody hates the least or at least is capable of creating the most consensus around and just doing that one and just focusing on consensus building is like the whole thing but that's like that's it that's all anarchists right that's why all anarchists start at personal responsibility and end at mutual aid. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because that's the only way to do it. And that's all there's ever been is just you. And whether you actually do the thing, you do the thing that you do, period. The Sterner to Prudhomme pipeline. Hell yeah. I mean, because yeah, a lot of the other places we can go here, we've got Cardassia, Romulus. Those are basically military and sort mm -hmm. of intelligent, secret police intelligence ruled. Uh, yeah, they have, I'm sure, nuance and whatever. But ultimately, we're given a shorthand in, in favor of character development, which is fun. Uh, Andorians yeah. would sort of seem, which are more of a cross between Vulcans and Klingons, more or less. Yeah, I feel like Andorians are the closest to current human beings and how we interact with each other. Yeah. Because, like, they've got a sense of general decency, but they're kind of dickheads. And yeah. I feel like that's honestly a more accurate and honest representation of the human condition. I mean, they, they like, fuck, Kirk isn't Picard. They ain't all Picard um, is really like he's our sort of best case scenario. And lots of these guys are way bigger jerks than that. You see it all like, is, yeah, I yeah. definitely agree. There's a lot of bad people getting the reins of things. But again, but I, again, best you can do is give those other people participating in it an opportunity and the ability to resist or to reinforce the pushback against actions that do not actually align with the values of the thing and knowing what those are. Being said, we don't want to drag too long. Robert's rules and all that. Wait, Rob, mm -hmm. no, no, mm -hmm. it's, it's Robert Picardo's rules, holographic <laughs> doctor. Um, he's our, he's one of these, always so good. Um, without him, he lives for bureaucracy, but also he doesn't have a rank. So no, he doesn't. Anyway. Bureaucracy exists in places where one person seeks to control another, and it is unneeded if you accept the other as an independent agent who cannot be controlled by you without violence. I rest my case. Rachel, do you want to help wrap the episode? Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, first of all, I think when in doubt, Star Trek kind of just goes with like shady authoritarian autocracy because it's easy and interesting to write, right? Evil people are interesting. I mean, old guy in the 50s wrote a Space Navy story. Ultimately, we are still, we're always going to be yeah. hung up on that end of this. Yeah. Yes. The, the good guy with a gun problem, right? Also, authoritarianism limits your cast, right? I think we're always stuck with that writer's choice. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's boring. It's boring now. It's been done to death. But like, it was easy, right? And when in doubt, you write what you know. And I think more than anything else, we all have experience with authoritarian governments because we live under one. So I think, you know, when we look at the broad spectrum of all of these alien races that have these sort of very similar kinds of dysfunction, you know, it's because it's the same living, breathing dysfunction we are all currently crushed under. Here, here. And I mean, we don't have to do nothing about it, though, right? Like, I think the the reason we even make media like this, the reason I make media like this is because at the end of the day, it is about consensus building. It has always been and always will be about consensus building. And I don't really have anything else to say. So I guess we can kind of. Yeah. The needs of my dog outweigh <laughs> the needs of me right this second. That's relatable. I yeah i, I want to ask one question of all of you because we gotta get a little happier than that because this is sort of be a, this is supposed to be a fun show i'm having a great time <laughs> paul uh, no but <laughs> this is optimistic thing. yeah i'm fine <laughs>
I don't think there's anything doomer about the idea that people can form like an ethical relation to another person and just communicate that idea to enough people that we create a kinder society by way of everybody agreeing on doing it. Like that's very optimistic. I know actually. it's just not a it's just not a laugh line. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Optimism <laughs> is really unfunny. It is. It's earnest and good, and that's why Star Trek is really bad at being funny. But no. Well, yeah, because everybody knows comedy is a fucking coping strategy. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, and I won't hear any more slanderous words about my coping strategy. I mean, comedy. <laughs> One of us knows why they're here, and it's me. I'm here to cope. Well, let's cope together. Yeah. If you were Nagus, Rachel, tell me something about the Alpha Quadrant. What What do you change? What you have ultimate authority? You could. You, if I were Nagus, just a just a little thing. Just find something small. So do I have to limit myself to like the Ferengi sphere or is it just like no, magic? No. That's Ultra just a fun Nagus. way to say if I okay, were. Okay, I got it. I'm just ripping off if I were yeah. cute and we're uh -huh. doing, uh, uh -huh. yeah, limit the level of authority. But yeah, you can make one object is just not, that's it. One object is not available in the entire Alpha Quadrant. What is it? It's you see it on the show or you won't, or you just don't want it to exist at all. What's not on the, what's like not available in the market? Or I guess guns, explosives, but like the bad kind. No, because you can't do that with that because all travel is explosion based. But then again, they're breaking the warp drive. So does that like, hmm. mm. and they're using light. So you can't get around it because the way to do, because energy is fucking energy. So you can't not do explosions. So we can't the get rid of explosions. The is going to be a challenge to. to yeah, there's to, no to way. They have to have explosions, which means they have to have a capacity to do violence. So you can't really just take away the guns as such. Because I mean, the plow is the point. You a gun if you're trying to kill somebody and you have a thing that explodes. Like you can make shift a gun pretty easy if you have explosives. So like there's no getting around that. So I'm going to beat you to death with the plow if you don't hurry up and pick a thing you hate. I don't like know. It. I don't want there to be fewer things. I want there to be more things. That's why I'm a communist. Oh, see, well, no, see, that's the beauty. of. I business. want there just to be they make the things they need and they don't do bad things because of personal responsibility. All right. Well, I think they shouldn't have any more jumpsuits, <laughs> but that's I, I love jumpsuits. I, I've How dare to... <laughs> you? That's the next worst thing you've done. They need to be OK. Pocket. First, you jumpsuits. tell me you love bureaucracy. And now you want to tell me you're taking jumpsuit. away my onesie. Fuck you, Paul. No, no pocketless <laughs> jumpsuits. Wesley Crusher and uh, Jake Sisko are both trapped. Uh, Deanna Troy, <laughs> want, they're just wandering around the future in a onesie that they have to take all the way <laughs> off to poop. And they have no pockets. Counterpoint, seven of nine. Uh, I rest well. my case. And you know what? With that, I cannot think of a better way to sign off. Uh, I'm gay. Y'all can both be communist because it's about sharing. If you like our stuff, please give us money. We are part of the Not Safe for Walks media network. You can give that money at patreon.com slash not safe. That's where we air this stuff. There's a lot of other really amazing shows. For example, on the air live right now, we have Post Tech Radio. We have Minecraft Mondays, which I think are actually on Wednesdays now, where Psychic Dolphin Garage is playing Minecraft. We have Ungirl on Fridays. We have Anti-Monday Actions on Mondays. Wednesdays, we actually do content where we like interview people who are smarter and cooler than us, uh, which is the best day, in my opinion. And we also just have a bunch of podcasts like this one a time of monsters like hot girl agenda tons and tons of content give us the monies patreon.com slash not safe subscribe to us on youtube specifically follow this podcast on twitter we are at gay space cast and we shit post about star trek or you know reach out to me specifically just to tell me how cool i am and how right i am about everything because i love that <laughs> all right Y'all got plugs? Y'all want to plug? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, at DM Archibald, and otherwise, I'm generally posting about politics or cats or Trek. So that's usually my content. Yeah, Corey's a good follow. Um, Amy Hassel, uh, A Hassel, two S's, three A's on Twitter, and um, you can search me on YouTube too. I'm Paul Byron. You can hear me at Critical Bits at criticalbitcast.com and that elsewhere uh i am at hashtag subtext on twitter i do other stuff i mean it's i don't know when this comes out there, there'll be more stuff eventually i love doing i would love to do live things ever again bye everybody yeah. No, I'm so happy. All right. Well, we appreciate you being here. And honestly, I sincerely believe that uh, and I will continue to say it better futures are possible. Absolutely. We For can do sure. this.